This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey guys, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. What's up, bro? Hey, what is up? We are super excited to be continuing our series with you guys today on Counterfeit Jesus. Yeah, Counterfeit Jesus is. Mm. Jesus is? Jesus is. Counterfeit Jesus Multiples. Yeah, Many we, Jesus. We got to define yeah. who this Jesus guy was uh, and what he taught. And it's crazy because everyone wants a piece of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that I've always been fascinated about. The Muslims want him. The, the Latter-day Saints want him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the atheists don't mind him. Uh, Hindus even want throw him in there. Yeah. Hindus. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Yeah. Everybody likes him. It's, it's interesting. So we want to get to the bottom of what different worldviews think about who this guy was. And then we're going to cap it all off because it's Christmas season with who he actually was yeah. and what he came to do. And we're going to take him at his word. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the atheist, agnostic, skeptic view of Jesus. Now, what we always do on this show, if you're a new listener, is before we get into that, we have a coffee tip because yes. both of us love coffee. We love coffee. Maybe addicted to coffee. A little bit. A little bit. I think coffee's addicted to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's where it's come to. It needs more of you. Yeah, it that's needs more it of me. Hey, and speaking of, since we're talking about atheists today, I, I love this joke. I yeah. don't know if you've heard of this. Okay, but, let's hear it. So every morning I get up and I'm an atheist before my first cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard that one before? Before my first yeah. cup of coffee, I'm an atheist. Hey, listeners, you can use that one for free, all right, on your friends. That's to, great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to <laughs> emphasize the importance of the caffeinated beverage. But anyways, we want to start with a coffee tip. And Tyler, you have got an interesting coffee tip for us today. Yeah, I do. And um, actually, so last week, if you guys listen, I uh, I talked about Mormonism as like their counterfeit uh, idea of Jesus. And with that, I gave you guys a coffee tip kind of tailored around that topic. And so I kind of wanted to keep up uh, that tradition for this series with this episode. Um, so th- this has kind of like been a joke or like something that I- I've heard like uh, Christians talk about. Um, uh, and it's something that's interesting, but it's like uh, atheists just make the best coffee. Have you heard yeah. that before? Yeah, it's like the idea that, yeah, the more secular or atheistic or liberal more uh, city or whatever, is, yeah. yeah, then the better the coffee. Well, when sure. we had Mark Driscoll on a while back, he said that. He did, you're right. Yeah. Actually, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah and so that's, that's kind of uh, like a lingering idea. So I thought, let, you know what, let's put this to the test. Yeah, uh, is like, it true or is it not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to look at statistically. And now, now this is just something that's interesting. I looked up, first of all, I looked at a story that was published by... NBC, and they did a holistic review of the top 10 cities in the United States okay. uh, for coffee that okay. are hi- like highest rated uh, for just their local coffee chains. So like specifically okay. how they make coffee themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm going to read just, just like the top five of that list really quick. So the cities that NBC places in the top five in the U.S. for best coffee is New York at number one, New okay. York, New York, Seattle, Washington at number two. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right. Um, San Francisco, California. Okay. Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And Los Angeles, California. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, so those are the top five cities in the U.S. for coffee. Okay. Now, I thought, I'm like, how do I kind of like gauge this? Because um, like, like you got to see, like, how do you determine if it's atheists that are making the coffee and like, if that's the reason it's so good, you know what I mean? Influence or yeah, something. If there's an yeah, influence, sure. something like that. So what I did was I, I did some research uh, with peer research and um, world Atlas. Like I looked around a few different sources, mm-hmm. uh, to get a statistic on the estimated amount of atheists living in those States. Okay. So just, just a couple of examples for the States, um, which I guess a couple of the cities are covered in, in this category. Sure. So, um, we got for atheist, the state of Washington is probably the highest uh, atheist population out of the top coffee cities. Okay. Uh, 43.7% of, of Washington, Washington atheist. Okay. Is, is atheist, okay. yes, <laughs> according to the research here. And then um, 43.4% in Oregon. Okay, so they Seattle and Portland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's their position on the list is number five for Washington and number six for highest populated atheist states. Okay. Okay, and then for um, California, 13. Uh, 13 
thirteenth thir- place in the statistics at thirty seven point eight percent atheist population. Uh, and as for New York, that one shocked me a little bit more. It's a little lower on the list at fifteen. Okay, um, it is thirty seven point one percent atheists in New hmm. York. Interesting. So there might be some correlation there. Yeah, the I think so. The more population of atheists, the better the coffee. And that's that's the case. And huh. now now it's interesting because uh, some people have said, well, you know what, like it's it's the liberal I like liberal states that make the best coffee um, or conservative, uh, but it's I don't think it's necessarily about like the p- political mm-hmm. uh, environment. More is it it's just the culture. You know, yeah. and I think that comes along with uh, just you know. I think, of course, the dense population of atheists in those states, mm-hmm. uh, because of the idea of like the lack of traditional aspect of having like a religious belief system. Mm-hmm. Maybe that that has an influence on the culture. So they're like, we want to be different. And we I mean, if people aren't going hipster. to church on Sunday, they have more time to perfect their roasting. So there you go. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. yeah. Like, so it's like there's not a real reason. That you can point to, I think, of like, yeah. oh, yeah, like atheists are the reason for coffee being better. But I don't – I mean it's an interesting coincidence at the very least yeah, it is. that the best coffee cities are some of the like higher density populated areas for atheists. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, man. so in, in Who interesting knows? coffee – What's the number one state that atheists live in? Yeah, let me let me check that. It's uh, Vermont shady. actually. Yeah, the north. Yeah, north yeah. East, it's a 56.3% of the population claims to be atheists in Vermont. Okay. Well, and see, and then that always gets weird because like population-wise, like oh, Vermont, sure. there's nobody lives there. Well, yeah. So again, it's population based on the state. Yeah, so there's of way course. more atheists probably well, like in Washington. Well, like the second one but... after that is at 51% and that's in Maine. So it's yeah, like a so little bit of a bigger... New England area. Yeah, yeah that so that's kind of how it is. I mean, obviously, Rhode Island and Hawaii are pretty high on this list, too. So it's like, yeah. you know... The like, smaller places have less population, sure, but yeah. more... Interesting. More percentage-wise. So that's yeah, crazy, man. That's the coffee tip for you guys. It's more of just like an interesting fact, like yeah. something to think about. If you want to like, get good coffee, though, go to more atheistic cities. That's yeah, the idea. I guess in right? New York, Seattle, Portland, you know, those are the places yep. to go. San so. Fran, LA, yeah. if you have to. That's the worst <laughs> yeah, one, though, right? That's the lowest. It's closer so. for us, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know if we can is. get in there now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway. So there we go. That's cool, man. Thank you for that. Well, hey, we're going to get started with talking about the topic of the day, uh, the counterfeit Jesus that, you know, atheists, agnostics, skeptics kind of propose. And there's there's different variations of this and there's different opinions. And we're going to kind of just go after one that's pretty popular um, now. But um, one, one of the different ideas within the atheistic, agnostic, skeptical view, I did want to mention before we get started on what we're going to talk about. Right. And it's this view that Jesus is just a myth. Like, he, there is no historical Jesus. This person, Jesus of Nazareth, didn't actually exist. He's just a legendary ideology, mythology that developed. Um, and we've actually met people who believe this. Uh, yeah. We've written books on this, and it is people such... put an, a lot of time into it. Yeah, it's, but it's such an extreme idea. Um, nobody in academia really takes no. it seriously that Jesus of Nazareth didn't even exist as a historical person because there's so much data against it. There's so much evidence that he did exist, not just from the New Testament, but from um, non-Christian yeah. first century it's, sources. It's to the point where it's like, yeah, like you, you don't have to really take that much of a leap of faith to believe he existed because, no. and, and the thing is, is like atheists will, will agree with that. Like the major, like, well-educated atheists that are out there yeah. would agree, yeah, he existed. And that's something that uh, a lot of people try to fight against. I mean, there's people out there that will. It's just such a dumb just, thing no, to fight it, against because there's is. so much evidence that yeah. he did exist. So if you want to dive into that whole argument, we're not talking about that today. Right. But a really great book to read is by an agnostic atheist named Bart Ehrman, and it's called Did Jesus Exist? The Historical Argument for Jesus of Nazareth. And the whole book is about, yes, of course he existed from an atheist standpoint. Right, yeah. Um, because he's course, just doing yes. good history. So if you want to check into that, Bart Ehrman's book, Did Jesus Exist, is fantastic, and you should check that out. Yeah, of course. So today we want to discuss, though, the idea of Jesus not being who the New Testament depicts him to be. It was Jesus actually the author of the new the, what who the authors of the new testament described him to be yeah. that's kind of what we're looking at here today because that's that's kind of the the myth or the ideas that are being thrown out there in atheism so we're kind of going to just tackle those claims and break it down a bit more 
Uh, so when it comes to who Jesus is described to be in the New Testament, there are actually four options for how we can view the truth claims, mm-hmm. okay? And I think, and I, yeah. I thought through this a lot, I think there's only four. Like, there might be another way to look at it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're listing, though, four options. Yeah, and I do think they're the only it. four options out there, but there might be, who knows, there might be more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, four credible is yeah. what, what we should say, I, to some extent, I, I don't guess. know what else would be credible. a good option, but... Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Uh, so while I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this here, this is very interesting. While at Oxford, uh, between the years of 1942 and 44, C.S. Lewis made a series of radio broadcasts. And in 1952, these radio talks were put to print under the name of Mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this book has since become a Christian classic and has helped many to understand the basis for Christian faith. And one argument of this book has come to be known as Lewis's Trilemma. Yep. The okay. trilemma of Lewis. Yeah, and now th- this is so popular, like in the Christian community now. Like, mm-hmm. like it's it's a lot of people know this. If you haven't read Mere Christianity, you need to read it. Get it in your stocking this year. Tell people yes. you want it for Christmas. When you get your Amazon card, buy a copy of Mere Christianity. Yes, it's ma- great. matter of fact, really coincidental. I'm actually just starting to read through this right now again. Oh, so good. I- I've read it before. I'm just I-, I need to touch on it again. It's been a while. It's a great book. Because it's yeah. yes, it's a really good book. And so um the argument that of Lewis's trilemma that he states, he said, uh, the argument states that Jesus was one of the three things, okay? One of the following. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord divine. Yep. He has to be one of the three, according to Lewis. The three L's. Now, we mentioned we're going to talk about four... Correct. Because there's been a mm-hmm. modern day development of people who say, listen, he doesn't have to be one of those three. There's actually a fourth option. Right, so we're going to yeah. look at a fourth option. But, but this before, is where it started. Yeah, this yeah. is where it started. So so Lewis's argument is you have to think Jesus was lying, he was crazy, or he is who he said he was. Yeah, exactly. And so we're going to take this argument, we're going to look at new developments that have happened in atheistic writings, and then we are going to kind of see where the evidence leads on it. Yeah, so now we're going to start with liar. That's yes. the first one. Let's start out right? with liar. So so, okay, let's let's take the stance that Jesus was lying, that what he says in the New Testament are lies, right? This view is that Jesus knew he was deceiving people. He mm. knew he he wasn't who he said he was. He knew he didn't come to do what he said he was going to do, and he was intentionally leading people astray. Okay, okay that's so it. he knows he's lying. That's the big idea. So this is the question that we've got to ask in in regards to this. What would be Jesus' motive to lie? What did he gain? What was he seeking to gain? What's the motive that that pushed him to be such a deceptive human being? Typically, people lie to get ahead in some way right? Whether it's financially, whether it's with power, whether it's with sex, those are usually yeah, reasons Yeah, there's something that you're lie. trying to gain out of it. Yeah. 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 So that, that's the question we go, okay, what was the Jesus, motivation? Yeah. What was Jesus trying to gain? He didn't really get famous in his own time. No, Nobody no. outside of Jerusalem really knew who he was, or outside of Israel really knew who he was, right? Right. Um, did he get sex? Did he get money? Did he get power no. from any of those things, right? So it's difficult to believe that this was Jesus' motive uh, and he was lying to get these things, especially when you consider what he taught about moral virtues. Right. So you look at what did Jesus say about sex? What did Jesus say about power? What did Jesus say about money? And he kind yeah. of says the exact opposite of what people typically lie to say uh, that to he get was ahead claiming for. to get, yeah. Yeah, so it's really interesting to look at, okay, what did Jesus say about money, sex, and power? Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to read a passage, uh, actually, that kind of touches on this. We're going to go through a few examples. Uh, in Matthew 20, 26 or 28, uh Jesus said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, That's right? huge. So, so he's telling yeah. them, listen, greatness isn't about gaining worldly power. Of course, It's about yeah. serving other people. And that's very counter to that idea, that he was a liar and that he was uh, out for personal gain, right? Yeah, and is, but is he lying about this? And then he's trying to, how are you gaining power by telling people you came to serve them? Well, and the thing is... It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, he didn't just say this, but like he actually lived it out. He wasn't a hypocrite in that through uh, the other people 
reporting on what how Jesus lived his life. Yeah. Uh, like Jesus washed the disciples' feet, right? Yeah. And then he eventually died for them. I mean, that's yeah. that's obvious. So his actions backed up his teachings. Yeah, of course. So what if he was lying, what's he gaining? Right, that's that's the point. If so, he knows he's lying. If he knows if he's, he's intentionally lying. lying. Yeah, what yeah. does he have to gain? Yeah. Um Jesus even taught uh, a strict view of sexuality. Yes. Uh, so that kind of yeah, takes away the idea of like that he was after sex, right? Like he said um repeatedly that um like his these strict views of sexuality saying that lusting after a woman uh, was as sinful as committing adultery. So yeah, like, the even, sermon on the mount, right? Yeah, he yeah. talks about that. So yeah. even even by looking at a woman lustfully is considered Adultery. Committed adultery with her in her heart, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why would why would he say that if that was something you know? Uh, yeah. like, like, and so that's well, that's and, another part of it. Let's go. Okay, so let's let's look at you know like even going back to last week with the LDS founder, right. Joseph Smith. He lied. Yeah, he did. And he um, intentionally lied to his people um, and kept secrets actually from his first wife. In order to marry other women. Well, yeah, he sought out money, he sought out sex, and he sought out power. He yeah. Got, and he got all three of those things. He did get all three of those things. So yeah. if Jesus is lying, the question becomes, what was his motivation to do it? It seems so crazy because he didn't get any of those things. And then he actually teaches against those things. Mm. If you're trying to lie in order to get money, sex, or power, you're going to begin teaching that certain things are okay. Yes. You're going to introduce right. your followers to, I know what the Old Testament says, but here's the new sexuality. At the, at the very least, you would you would think that you'd have some reports or claims from somebody else yeah. saying, oh, he did this that was counter to his teaching, or yep. he said... X, Y, Z, you know, like, like we would see some sort of example with how well, many people were around him, right? You think like, so? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. You also would, you also, the, the other problem with it is, so if he doesn't only say, hey, we're sticking to the Old Testament view of sexuality. Of course. He makes it harder. He does. So he doesn't, right. he, yeah. you, you would see him giving allowance for sexual um, leniency, mm-hmm. right? But no, he doesn't. He makes it more difficult of a thing. Like, it's not just committing the act of adultery. It's looking on people with lust. And people are like, man, like, this is tough. Like, who can do this stuff you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it just, it's so, uh, to say that he was lying is very tough to, uh, to found when you look at his character and his actions and his teachings. Yeah, and then again, um, just going further with his view of money, right? Like mm-hmm. he wasn't out for financial gain with this. Uh, I mean, even uh, Jesus said himself in Matthew six twenty four, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other." You cannot serve God and wealth. Yeah, you cannot serve God and wealth. You can't. Yeah, and then again, how does his actions play out? He, I mean, he lives, he's pretty poor too throughout <laughs> like his- poor throughout his whole life. Yeah. He's just a carpenter in Nazareth. And then through his ministry, he doesn't have a home. He's like traveling around all the yeah, time. Yeah. He's just kind of hopping around. From- Living off the benevolence of other people. Yeah. That's exactly what he's He doing. even tells that one guy, the guy says, hey, I want to come follow you. And he says, hey, you know, foxes have holes, uh, but the son of man doesn't even have a place to sleep tonight. And the guy's like, I don't know about that. I don't know about following you. Right? Yeah. He didn't have nice places to stay. He didn't have a ton of money. That wasn't his focus. And so what was the motivation for him lying? Mm. If he was lying to gain sex or power or fame or money, he was a terrible failure. And he was teaching against those things, which would make it more difficult for him to ever gain those things. Yeah, that's exactly the case. So I don't see the liar idea being very credible. No, it's not. And it's just... You just see, I mean, these are just a few examples of like, like dozens. I mean, I was probably arguing actually like hundreds of examples that we see uh, where Jesus lived out a life and like said things that are completely counter to that idea. To the idea of, yeah, gaining, gaining gaining selfish things. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So um, the idea Jesus was lying is very contradictory considering the moral code he taught, the moral code he lived by, uh, and the actions of selflessness he did for other people. Right. So, um, yeah. 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 And so I would say that um, also if Jesus was a liar, how did he get famous, right? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, is it, it is popular today to hear people say Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't God and he didn't rise from the dead, right? Well, and that's what sometimes atheists even say. Like, listen, yeah. the reason he's famous is because he's a good teacher, but the miracle stuff is is bogus. Right, right? of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, like, that's the thing. Like, if he was a liar, 
he was not a good teacher is the thing, though. That's, that's the thing. That's so, what people so don't understand. So you can't claim he's a good teacher if you're claiming he was a liar. Exactly. And I think a lot of this, uh, especially modern day teaching, it stems from just a lack of education about mm. uh, who Jesus is and like what happened uh, when he was like teaching because yeah, people just don't know what he said. Yeah, I exactly. Think. I don't think people know what they, what he said, and that's that's something that's interesting because when you confront uh, atheists or just any agnostic or someone mm-hmm. making these claims with uh, what Jesus taught on, and then and then ask them like, hey, then it, if this is what he's teaching, yeah. and if you're telling me that it's not true, then that would make him a liar, yeah. which therefore does not make him a good teacher. It makes him evil. It makes me evil. Because if yeah. he's telling people that you can you can go to heaven if you believe in me, and I came to die for your sins to give my life as a ransom for many, and he's just lying about it, he's deceiving people. He's yeah, he, he's yeah. he's leading people completely astray. So yeah, you can't hold to the idea that he was a good moral teacher if you believe that he was a liar. Yes, exactly. So that leads to the second point we want to talk about today. So what if he was a good moral teacher? And he didn't know he was lying about stuff. Right. Okay. So he's deceived. He really believes what he's saying is true, which is Lewis's uh, idea of being a lunatic or a crazy man, right? So what if he was just crazy? He really believed he was the son of God. He really believed he came to redeem all humanity from sin. And he was teaching these things not to deceive people, but because he was crazy and he was mistaken about reality. Yes, exactly. But he really himself it's believed that, that it. He, he was delusional into actually believing mm-hmm. that he was God. Yes, that, that's so there's the no lying going on, but it's still not true. Yes, exactly. Yep, so that's the lunatic idea. Yeah, and so uh, this is kind of like a, a tough position to believe in when you read uh, just like all the things that Jesus said when he was arguing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it's crazy. We can just see all throughout... The, the, those encounters. Yeah, the reason, and the reason yeah. it's crazy is because he, he shows such great intelligence. He does against the smartest people of his time. Because you see that he uh, he is intelligent to know the law and the history mm-hmm. by heart. Like he's not having to. to yeah, he studied right. Yeah, he, he's he he knows the Old Testament really well. He knows the judicial laws. He knows the difference yeah. between rabbinical tradition and the Old Testament law. Of course, yeah. And he he like he he like cuts through that line when they say, "Why aren't your disciples doing all the ceremonial washing?" And he's like, "Well, it's not." That's not the law. That's your traditions. Why do they need yeah. to follow traditions of men? He talks about right uh, when the Pharisees and Sadducees come to him in Matthew twenty-two, which is just such an awesome chapter of Jesus showing up mm, the yeah. smart guys in the big city. That's what this chapter should be called. Jesus goes to Harvard is what it should <laughs> right, be called. Yeah. And he's I just like he's showing everybody up. Right, the Pharisees come and argue against him, and he shows them based on a verb tense in Exodus why their whole argument against him is just stupid. Mm. At the end of that, I love what it says is he points out to them why God and, and the afterlife actually are, are true, that people do live after they die. And he says, because God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Because God said that 400 years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have died. Yeah. And he says, I am. So Jesus says he is present tense, not meaning was they past are tense, still alive. Yeah. Meaning they're still alive. Have you read the Bible? That's what is yeah. that's what he's doing yeah. to the, the smart guys. And I love what Matthew 22, 33, and 34 says. It says, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at yeah, his teaching, right. right? But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together and they were concocting an argument well, against him. Well, because just imagine like that clicking for them when he's saying, when he's pointing out, yeah. when he said, I am. Yeah. How do you argue like, against that? Think about it. Like, like if you didn't know that in advance, like uh, as a Jew who studied the law and then like, you hear Jesus say that, that would shock you. And, like It would. Because you go, oh my gosh, you. it was right there in front of it. Yeah. It yeah, was right yeah. there in front of you. Exactly. So, so again, now you're saying a crazy man is making these very intelligent, very academic, very big points to show up guys who've been studying this their whole life. That's really hard for me to believe. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, now, of course, we have uh, have seen crazy lunatics who have started cults, right? And yeah. uh, teaching things that are untrue. Uh, however, if this is the case with Jesus... How is it that his teachings have stood the test of time, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because uh, 2,000 years of the greatest minds in history have studied and scrutinized the things that he taught. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it, it's crazy because you look at other uh, cults and religions, like last week we talked about Mormonism, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I even like 
kind of dip my toe in the water a little bit in describing uh, some of the, the inaccuracies that came out. Of oh, the Book yeah. Of Mormon. The Book of Mormon things, is full of Things that have changed, right? Yeah. So, so you see, it didn't stand the test of time. No. So, but then, whereas you look at uh, Scripture and the teachings that Jesus had after 2,000 years of being heavily critiqued yeah. and... and it, and investigated, it has still stood the test of time. So this does not make sense if these are just the ramblings of some crazy guy who wanted to start a cult, right? No, they're not. And yeah. the, the other thing, too, is that you get into... So the, this idea of Christianity, the teachings of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right, mm. spread across the whole world really fast in the first century. And we have that from Josephus and Tacitus who were talking about how Christianity is in Rome before the end of the first century. Right, so we yeah. know it's spreading all over this ideology. And if it's just this – think about it. Like from the, from the extreme crazy lunatic cult leaders that we've seen in our day, you know, like you think about um, the Branch Davidians and you think about, you know, Jonestown. You yeah. think about all these different people. And there's, just, there's like a crazy madman leading a small group of people. But most everybody else is like, they're not. Yeah, right. Yeah. Nobody's buying it, right? Oh, like, yeah. they're it's extreme. True. But this idea begins to completely take over the world. So much so that by, you know, the 300s, Constantine makes it the religion of the Roman Empire. Yeah, it's like that. That's that is mind boggling. Yeah. It is. So, so again, it doesn't make it true, but right. it definitely is hard to believe that a crazy man is behind all this stuff with his yeah. academic, with his intelligence, with how he argued with the smartest people of his time. And then, like you said, how it stood the test of the last 2000 years. I don't think Jesus could have been a crazy man. I think if you're still trying to be consistent with that idea, like with what we see today, you would have, mm -hmm. you would have to argue that just, just literally everybody out there is a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just like, saying, yeah, I'm just true. saying like realistically you do. Cause, cause yeah. if you're getting, if he's getting like, like masses of educated people yeah. to get behind him or, or at the very least, uh, like say that he, what he said was credible, mm -hmm. uh, then you would have to argue that they're lunatics too. And that, that yeah. kind of, that's, that's where the consistency has to be key. Yep. So, so I think that that's something important to note. Um, but yeah, so that kind of wraps up the idea of like the lunatic, uh, idea here yeah. and hardly culture. anybody and again with both of these like these are the two of four options the right. first two of four options and we were talking about this before like nobody really argues that jesus was intentionally no. deceiving people because it's no. so that's like saying mother Teresa hated indian people right yeah really but she served her whole life with the poorest yeah. of people in india like th that doesn't make sense it's like saying martin luther king jr was racist exactly like, really <laughs> like I, it's kind of like everything he said and everything he did go against that yeah, idea. yeah. It's exactly like what I brought up with the last point, right? Mm -hmm. it, it comes to, it comes down to like uh, people who are arguing this point at this point are not really that well educated. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people will say he was a liar. No, and I don't no. think a lot of people will say he was a crazy person. But if you press him on that, you go, then what was he? So mm, if he's yeah. not lying intentionally or unintentionally, <laughs> right? Then who was this guy, right? Yeah, that, and that's, that's where Lewis says, "Well, he must be the Lord," and we're going to talk about that later. But there is a fourth option, yes, that has arisen in kind of modern times in our day and age. And the fourth option is this idea that Jesus isn't a liar, he isn't a lunatic, he isn't Lord, but he is a legend. Mm, okay. He's a legend. He's a myth. Um, and here are a few quotes of what skeptics are saying about the legend hypothesis. So this comes from John Dominic Crossens in, in A Tale of Two Gods. Uh, John Dominic Crossens is one of the founders of the Jesus Seminar, which is, is a super, super skeptical liberal um, organization that hardly believes any of the New Testament's accurate and hardly any of the sayings in the New Testament by Jesus are really sayings, he said. Super mm. skeptic. This is what John Dominic Crossens says. Quote, Jesus's divine origins are just as fictional or mythological as those of Octavius. Neither should be taken literally. Both must be taken metaphorically, end quote. Mm. So you see, this is a myth. It's a legendary development. This is King Arthur. This is Robin Hood. This isn't, this isn't, yeah, that's what this isn't anchored in history. Bart Ehrman, uh, in his book, Jesus Interrupted, said, quote, I had come to realize that Jesus's divinity was part of John's theology, not part of Jesus's own teaching, mm. end quote. So you see, right. Bart Ehrman saying the, the theology developed, the idea of who Jesus was over time, passing from when he lived 
developed into these stories and these myths and these legendary accounts. And then later in time, John writes down this stuff, or whoever wrote John, he would say, whoever right. wrote John, wrote down these ideas about Jesus's divinity. He didn't rise from the dead. He he didn't claim to be God. All of these things are later legendary accounts. Okay, yeah. And again... I have another quote from Ehrman where he t- touches on this. He says, Jesus probably never called himself God. And to make my point, I suggest that, in fact, there were not three options, but four, liar, lunatic, lord, or legend. Of course, I choose the fourth word to maintain the alliteration. Well, stop right there. I love yeah. that. Do you see what he's saying? Mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm very clever. He did say that. I chose yeah. the fourth word, legend, because it's an L word. Look at me. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, sorry to interrupt no, the quote. Actually, no. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. That's a good point. Uh, but yeah, then he goes on to say, what I meant was that not Jesus himself was a legend. Of course not. I certainly believe that he existed, and that we can say some things about him. What I meant was that the idea that he called himself God was a legend, when I, which I believe it is. This means that he doesn't have to be either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He could be a first century Palestinian Jew who had a message to pro- proclaim other than his own divinity. See, right? so he's he's a legend, right? Yeah. The, 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 right? The stories of his divinity, resurrection, all of that stuff didn't take place, but there was a real person, and then later on, legendary accounts of him developed. Exactly, yeah. You see that they argue that Jesus is not a liar, a lunatic, Lord, but that he's, in fact, a legend, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, kind of arguing that this historical person became a legend through these myths and built up followers, right? And it makes sense of what they're trying to case because they're trying to say that over time, each of these educated people, all these uh, like Christians and theologians that came on just kept piling on, right? Yeah. That's, so, that's their train of thought. And they're really not blaming Jesus. This is It's an interesting of change, of course, because... because they know they can't blame. Well, to say yeah. Jesus was a liar is blaming him. Exactly. To say he's a crazy person is blaming him. I don't want to say he is who he said he was. Therefore, I'm going to make the disciples or the writers of the New Testament the bad guys. Yeah, that's that's and exactly. And they say they embellished who he was. Mm, it's an interesting move, right? It's yeah. it's a, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, it's just it's very very interesting. Uh, but there are many reasons why this kind of hypothesis fails. But one of the main reasons is because we can date the core teaching of Christianity, which is we talk about this many times on the podcast, mm-hmm. the resurrection of Jesus as being taught in Jerusalem, uh, somewhere between six to th- six months to three years after the death of Jesus, right? Yeah, and this is important because if you want to claim that Jesus's divinity, resurrection are legendary accounts, then you have to have a significant amount of time between when Jesus lived yeah. to when mythology developed about him. Yes, you exactly. That's you have exactly to have time. It. So time is the magic thing here. But the problem with that is based on the New Testament writings, these historical documents that we have, we can put together a timeline that in Jerusalem the disciples were teaching that the resurrection of Jesus occurred and we can we can pinpoint this happening somewhere between 6 months to 3 years after Jesus died. Yeah. So people in right. Jerusalem were claiming these things really close to the events themselves which doesn't give enough time for legendary accounts to develop. Yeah. Like think about it. Um this this coming year is 2021. Mm-hmm. So of September of next year, it will be 20 years since 9-11 happened. Yeah, that's right. Right? Uh, you can't convince me of of craziness about 9-11. No. You couldn't change course. you couldn't change even small facts about it to me because I was I was 17 years old when it happened. Yeah. I remember right. it. Uh, so you couldn't tell me it was Hindus who flew into the Twin Towers? No, it wasn't. I know who it was, yeah. right? I literally know names of the, of the bad guys who yeah, enacted yeah. this thing. Um, you couldn't tell me that uh, they crashed into Mount Rushmore. No, they didn't. They were trying to crash into the Pentagon, and mm-hmm. they were trying to crash into the Twin, the twin Towers yeah, and they, in New they York City, right? they tried to crash into the White House, and but the wh- yeah. weren't successful. Exactly. Yeah. And so, no, we like, know these things. We know these things mm-hmm. because I lived then. So 20 years isn't even enough for legendary accounts to develop. Right. Yeah. So this is where it gets interesting. Uh, there are seven letters of the Apostle Paul that atheist New Testament scholars agree the Apostle Paul actually wrote. Yes. All right. Two of them are First Corinthians and Galatians. There's no dispute that Paul, the guy we believe existed in the first century, 
wrote these. Yes. Everybody agrees he wrote these because the, right. the, the historical um, credibility is too strong. So in 1 Corinthians, one of the undisputed letters of Paul, we find the creed about Jesus' resurrection. And I want to read this to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Paul tells the Corinthians, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay? So right there. I gave you what I received. And then he's quoting something. I told you this when I was with you guys. Exactly. And then he quotes, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So um, scholars agree this is an early Christian saying or creed or hymn. It's oral tradition kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and Paul says, I gave to you what I had received, the gospel. Here it is, this quote. You remember this, Corinthians. Well, when was Paul in Corinth? We know when Paul was in yeah. Corinth. Exactly, because that, we've dated it a, archaeologically. That's a very specific time stamp there. Yeah, so, yeah. we have a time stamp of Paul being in Corinth in 51 AD. Mm -hmm. And it's because we have this uh, piece of archaeology that was found at Delphi, which is close to Corinth, and it's called the Gallio Inscription. And it puts this guy Gallio as being the proconsul of Corinth in 51 AD, between 51 and 52 AD. And Acts 18 tells us that Paul stood before the proconsul Gallio, and he passed judgment on Paul because the Jews were bringing him, saying he's teaching all this crazy stuff. Yeah. So Paul was there while Gallio was a proconsul, which is 51 AD. That's when Paul went to Corinth for the first time. So in 51 AD, Paul gives the Corinthians this creed, all right? But he says he received it. So the question yeah. becomes, okay, where did Paul get this from? So it exists in 51. So think about this. If Jesus died in 30, we're talking 21 years later, there's this developed theology about his resurrection, wow. his death, burial, resurrection, and his appearances to people. That's not enough time for legendary no, accounts to develop. It's not. And he even says in there, listen, some of these people have died who saw him 500 at one time, but some are still alive. He's like urging them, go check it out. Like you can look at the evidence yourself. Not enough time for legendary accounts to yeah, develop. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I like the 9 uh, um, 11 uh, analogy yeah, that you Yeah, It's use. almost been 20 years. It is, yeah. So, so it's like for those of you listening to this and like really just think through how that feels to you, like like the timestamp that's there, like the time gap between now and nine eleven. Yep. That's the time gap that we're talking here yep. with these writings. So that that's that's kind of what we're looking at. Well, right? and that's but we can do better than that. Well, we can. So this is when Paul was in Corinth and he gave them this. Is twenty years later, mm -hmm. but but he said he received it. So now we got to ask the question. Okay, he has it in fifty one. When did he get it? Now we're going further back in time. Wow, look at that. Right. <laughs> so now you ask the question: When did he get it? And by looking at First Corinthians and Galatians, you can put together a timeline of when Paul would have received this creed. So what happens is Paul, uh, you know the story. If if you've read through the book of Acts, he's going to persecuting Christians. He's going to arrest Christians on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up to him and changes the course of his life forever, right? Paul says in, in Galatians 1, 15 through 17, but when God who'd set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, so that's he showed up on the road to Damascus, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned to Damascus once more. Then three years later, Galatians 18 says, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. Mm. Okay. Oh, and then Paul says, now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God, I'm not lying. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's he's like pushing them. Listen, this is, this is my testimony. This is what happened to me. So let's say uh, Paul's conversion happens somewhere, everyone agrees, somewhere between, you know, four to six years after Jesus' resurrection. Right. So we're talking plus four to six years. And then, or no, sorry, plus three years is what it is. And then another three years, and then he goes and he meets Peter. So at the most, we're talking six years after Jesus' death, Paul goes to talk with Peter. Okay, and it's yeah. interesting because when he says, "I went to get acquainted with Peter," the word he uses for acquainted is this word "historese." It's where we get our word "history" from. Yeah. So he's yeah. saying, "I went to get a historical account from Peter." It's not like I'm just hanging out. 
I went to just be like, okay, you knew Jesus. He showed up to me. What's the deal? Yeah. Give yeah. me an account of what went on. Tell me what happened. Then Paul goes off and he's working with Barnabas and he's doing missionary journeys and stuff. And then what he says in Galatians is really crazy. In Galatians 2, he says, uh, 2, 1 and 2, he says, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So 14 years later, this is after he's gone on missionary journeys. Right. This yeah, is after that's right. he's planted churches. This is after he's preached the gospel. So he already knew the gospel before this, right? He says, I went up and I submitted to them, the guys in Jerusalem, who are Peter and James and John. I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentile, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Mm. He freaks out and he goes, I better be sure about this gospel of thing. Of course, yes. Right? It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So he wants to make sure he hadn't been running in vain. He goes on in Galatians 2 to say that those who are of reputation, uh, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. They said, you got it. Yeah, you got the gospel, man. He submits to them what he's been preaching. James, John, and Peter are like... Ah. Yeah, you. That's it. Yeah, he got he got peer reviewed. Yeah, and they say <laughs> you yes. you you've got you're teaching the truth, man. Like, remember when you came up here 14 years ago and we told you? Yeah, you've got it. And then he says that they gave him the right hand of fellowship and they sent him mm. to go and to continue his missionary journeys. So this is interesting, Tyler, because you ask when would he have received this Christian creed? It would have been the first time he went and he hysterized with Peter. Yeah, that's which is right. somewhere between six, you know, uh, four to six years after Jesus' death. Now the question yeah. is this. He gets it from Peter. Well, Peter already has it. When did it develop, right? Where did it come from? How do we date this saying and when it developed? So he gets it in Jerusalem from the uh, brother and the uh, first disciple, you know, best disciple, most important disciple of Jesus. Mm. And it's all about the death, burial, resurrection, and appearances of Jesus. Yes, it's That's crazy. Right. So now this is where it gets interesting. So the, the Jesus Seminar, remember John Dominic Crossings, we quoted him earlier. Yes, that's right. In studying this extremely skeptical organization, scrutinizing, mm. they say that there is no way that this saying, this early Christian creed that we find Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, they say it couldn't come any later than two years after Jesus yeah. died. That's yeah. crazy. Gerd Ludemann, who is a German atheistic New Testament scholar, he says that this creed couldn't come any more than three years after Jesus died. Yeah. People in Jerusalem were saying this about Jesus three years at the most after he died. Larry Hurtado, who was at Edinburgh, Richard Bauckham, who was at Cambridge, they all say this material comes from about 30 AD. So they're saying it's in the same year Jesus died. That's, yeah, and James, that's quite a range. I mean, James that's... Dunn, he believes that the latest it could have been would have been somewhere around six months after Jesus died and rose from the grave. With the analysis, with when they take into account how long it took for sayings to become popular and formulated and all yeah. of that in, in the first century, right? So now think about this. How could the resurrection be legendary accounts if... Atheistic scholars are saying, yeah, this idea about death, burial, resurrection, and appearances was being said in the town where it was supposed to happen somewhere between six months to three years after it happened. Yeah. No way can that be this, legendary. No, not so at all. This idea that Jesus' divinity and Jesus' resurrection are legendary accounts is nonsense when you do the yeah. academic New Testament critical scholarship. Yeah, it is. It, it just – you see – through all these examples that the idea of Jesus being a legend doesn't hold water. It's mm -hmm. it's just not possible. It's not. Yeah, and so uh, that's that's the thing, right? It's what if Jesus never said these things, right? Uh, what if they are made up by the writers of the New Testament? So this, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a shift we got to think about. Because, okay, right. we're assuming Jesus actually said these things in the Bible. Of course. And he's either lying about it, he's either crazy, or these are fabrications from some of his followers and its legendary yeah. account, right? But let's now, because people will say, Tyler, you don't know if Jesus, if the if the words in the Bible are actually stuff Jesus said. You're trusting the people who wrote it that he said it. So now we want to take it a layer back and say, okay, well, 
how do we know that these authors are writing accurate stuff? Exactly. Right. So, what do you? How could we go about this? Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, that this is a good question. Uh, like, we need to apply this liar lunatic legend argument to them as well. I think. I think that's the best mm-hmm. way to investigate this. Yeah. So not just so, to Jesus, but to the writers in the New Testament. Yeah. And again, we don't even. This is. I think this is because cool, that's what would be happening. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. We don't have to even say it was his disciples. Now, no. I believe it was, you know, Peter who who uh, wrote the Gospel of Mark through John Mark wrote it down, but it's the Gospel according oh, yeah, to yeah, Peter. Yeah, right. And I believe Matthew actually wrote Matthew, and I believe John actually wrote John. But there's people who say, oh, we don't know who actually wrote them, blah, blah, blah. Okay, like, whatever. We know that they're around in the first century because we have quotes of them from other people in the first century. Oh, yeah, So exactly. it's tough for them to be quoting stuff that they don't have. So we don't even need to argue over who wrote the New Testament. We just need yeah. to ask the question, okay— how do we know the New Testament authors are depicting real history? And exactly. you're saying yeah, we yeah, can yeah. apply the liar, lunatic, legend argument to whoever well, wrote the I, New I Testament. I think that's what we should do. Because the thing is, if you look at it, and if it turns out that the historians, the mm-hmm. I mean, all the gospel writers and the apostles, if they are not liar, lunatics, or legends, if they really existed, they told the truth, mm-hmm. and they, like, they were not crazy, yeah. then that clearly gives credibility to their historical account. Yes. It yeah. would. So are they lying? What do we think? That's what we need to start with. And, and now uh, the, the question is, is like, like again, I think let's, let's throw it back to what did they get to gain out of this, right? If they mm. were lying. Yeah. What did the New Testament writers gain? So people who are proposing Christianity, what did they gain? That's the question, right? And now uh, the, those, the gospel writers and the, like the writers of the New Testament, they did not gain really anything. They, they actually, they lost a lot of things. Like, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see all throughout, uh, I mean, as far as earthly possessions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, we see all throughout uh, church history mm-hmm. and throughout uh, some scripture accounts of what happened to them, that they were thrown to lions. Right? Yeah. Early Christians uh, were thrown to lions. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were uh, burned at, as torches at Nero's dinner parties. Yeah. Uh, and that Nero was, that burned Christians, Christians all the time. Covered them with tree sap and would yes. use them as human torches for exactly. garden parties. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then not only that, they didn't gain any money out of it or sex or power or fame. Like, in fact, like they were kind of being heavily persecuted through this. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were imprisoned. Um, I mean, and clearly they were not really uh, excited about what they were gaining from it because uh, of all the negative attention that they were getting. Yeah. Uh, like when Peter, like when uh, he's under pressure and t- talking about how he denied Jesus three times, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was under, uh, he denied it because he's like, I don't want to be associated with him because yeah. there's a lot of bad, like I don't get anything from being well, from this. And they have to keep, like the other thing is this is, so the writers of the yeah. New Testament keep saying, hey, consider it joy when you suffer because we're going to suffer. Yeah. And I know that you're into diaspora and you're going to suffer, but don't worry about it because we want to suffer like Jesus did because there's hope that we're going to rise from the dead. So if they're lying right. about that, think about this. They're admitting that suffering's happening to their group. Yeah. So they're admitting suffering's coming upon us, um, but I'm lying about these ideas. So wouldn't you want to el- eliminate suffering in your life by saying, okay, jigs up. We're just well, kidding. And you know what? It's all think, a hoax. You know what I think though? I, I think, I think really too, and I, I'm sure, I think this is one of the biggest uses that God had in all of their deaths is that by the disciples mm-hmm. faithfully believing in Jesus and everything that he did mm-hmm. all the way up into death is a testimony in the fact that they genuinely believed it. Yeah. Because because they they're not they're putting their their money where their mouth is by literally yes. dying for this because they're saying I'm so confident that I am going to live in eternity yeah. that I'm willing to die. For well, we had a lot belief. of early Christians doing that very thing. Of course, um, yeah. So so that's the, that's that's where it gets down to. Okay, the writers of the New Testament, I don't think they could have been lying about it mm-hmm. because again, if if Jesus never said any of these things, but they're making up this phenomenal moral virtue ethic. Like where yeah. did they, first of all, where do they get these ideas from? 
Uh, that's that's a whole nother discussion. Exactly. Where, where yeah. could they fabricate these things from, and where could they fabricate them from four times? <laughs> there has to be some kind of source material that they're using because they're also similar. So anyway, there's all yeah, that problem. Yeah. But you're telling me that these people made up these legendary uh, accounts to lie about this moral virtue, but then they're not following it. So why would anybody even take them seriously with this message? It's the same thing with Jesus. Right? Exactly. So if they if he didn't say it and they're making it up, you've still got the same problem about it. they couldn't have been lying about it because they were pushing this idea and the other thing is we even have historical accounts from Tacitus mm, uh, and yes. from Josephus and and they talk about how Christians um, get together and they yeah, and yeah. they talk and they give to one another and they're benevolent and you go wait a second like like th- that that's such a crazy idea right why would you do that if you're lying to get something so exactly. that doesn't make a lot of sense which makes a lot of people think well, maybe the lunatic aspect applies to the writers of, of the course. New Testament. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. That's the next question. It's like, so were they crazy? Right? Could they, have been. They, could have been crazy. That's exactly the, the case. So, so, but the question is, is how could they write such amazing ethical teaching of Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, that are all reinforced by each other in different books and different accounts of this fictional person? Yeah. Right. How could they all make this up? Yeah. And and then uh, and then. Uh, the, the crazy thing is, is we, we see too, what I meant by, uh, they all affirm each other in their accounts in different books. They even, they, uh, unknowingly affirm each other a lot in like yes. just subtle details that they write about things that tie in and give us more information about what another author was saying or vice versa, mm-hmm. because they were telling the truth, right? Which just screams, uh, eyewitness testimony. Exactly. Is what we that's have. A, that's yeah. exactly it. Yep. When you're like, like when police are investigating eyewitness testimony, that's a major thing they look for. Yeah. Is um, connecting the dots between the stories that that are different accounts. Yeah, one definition makes uh, another definition make sense because exactly. there's a detail in this definition that was left out of this one, but then when you put yeah. them together, it harmonizes. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so that's what we're looking at. So it, it just kind of gets a little bit. Um, I think it, it's a little difficult to challenge that and say that the New Testament writer, New Testament writers were crazy. It is hard yeah. to say that be, because the writings are phenomenal. First of all, again, they've stood the test of 2,000 years of people reading mm, these books, yeah. and tra- it's the most translated book ever. It's the most popular book ever, and you're saying it was written by lunatics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that really holds water, right? And then again, it gets back to how did they gain such a huge following among Jews, but also among Gentiles. So you've got all these Romans converting. You've got all these Pharisees converting. Right, mm, yeah. you've got po- politicians in the Roman government in Corinth and in Crete convert to Christianity yeah, and start helping yeah. Paul out. And you go, it's it's just it's hard to believe if it's written by lunatics. Yeah, that's- if it's written by crazy guys who actually believe this stuff, but it didn't occur, right? Mm. And then the question becomes, how did this idea continue to gain steam and momentum after the deaths of these crazy men? So they wrote a mm. book that was so amazing and phenomenal yeah. that it had the it had the force. Of through sacrificing love and and being kind and praying for your enemies is what they taught. It has the force to continue for two thousand years and become the religion of the Roman Empire. You know, uh, a couple uh, two hundred fifty years later. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's such a crazy idea that it was lunatics who wrote it. Yeah, and then, and then that kind of goes into our our last option, right? Again, it is the legendary account, right? Yeah. Like so a, okay, maybe these are legendary accounts. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. lying intentionally. No one's crazy. They're just mistakes. Yeah. Like like maybe they started writing about these events, and then legend took over, and theology developed, right? Yeah. And maybe the the writers in the New Testament weren't eyewitnesses to it, and they're just hearing secondhand stories. Sure. And they're putting a hodgepodge together, that would be the legendary account, right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is uh, legendary accounts, it's interesting. So they would either be lies because the writers knew that they were not true or mistakes, like you said. Okay. Um, So then if lies... Then we must ask, what did they gain from these lies? So it right? goes back to the liar. It, it goes back yeah. to it, and you just kind of can keep going down this cycle, right? Yeah. Of a liar, lunatic legend, uh, because uh, that's the case. It's like uh, if, and then if mistakes were made, so not intentional lies, but just mistakes. Yeah, but exactly. Not, be, not because you're crazy. Yes. Just because you don't know. Yes, okay. exactly. Uh, if mistakes, then we must ask how they created such amazing ethical teaching of self-sacrifice love and challenging the social and religious norms of the day 
And where did they get those insights from? Right? Yeah. Where did they where get, did these you get this from? Because because you know what? If that's the case, then maybe maybe there's some pretty good teaching going on that developed. In like I mean, it just like yeah, ideas come from somewhere. They have to come from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's really what it boils down to is where did they get this from? So what we would have to believe is there was this carpenter named Jesus who was just a regular dude who probably taught some stuff, but he wasn't God and he didn't rise from yeah. the dead. He then gets killed, and for some reason, a whole bunch of people follow him after he gets killed, claiming six months to two years later that he died and he rose from the dead and he appeared to a whole bunch of people after that and that he promises them that they can rise from the dead too Mm. but it didn't happen and then there was legendary development within this group that took over and spread across the entire world within 50 years and all of it was legendary accounts, but they weren't lying intentionally. They were just mistaken about it. Yeah, that's. What? <laughs> that's a, that, I don't think I don't think you could get Christianity from that mess of of a, of a, of of mixing these hypotheses together. You, you, you know? can't. It's just it's it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hold water. That's it's really it tough. To, yeah, it's really tough to to come up with evidence that proves those ideas. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so uh, I would say that oh, after looking at all of these. Uh, the fourth option that we discussed really um, seems to make the most sense, and that's that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, because he is, is who he says uh, he is. The thing is, and, and you know what? We could go on and on about all these different reasons. I, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but this stuck with me. Uh, f- back in high school, mm-hmm. you had us do this um, little exercises, like y- your youth group students, mm-hmm. where you had us get into teams and groups of people. And you had us try to come up with uh, some excuse for uh, Christianity not being true, right? Uh-huh. You, you had us. You had us all come up with our own stories of what happened. Okay. Uh, rather of than where the, it came the, from, because it's yeah, here. Where it came from? We got to exactly. say it's here. So where, where did it come from? Exactly. Yeah. And and I can remember everybody said that the best that that uh, of all the groups could come up with was aliens. That <laughs> yeah, was it. Exactly. Aliens came down. <laughs> they tricked they, us all. They tricked us the all. Magic. And yeah. And, yeah. And, and with, again, absolutely crazy outlandish idea. We, no evidence. Yeah. 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 And it's uh, honestly, we all laughed about it because it, it's laughable. It's a joke. But it's the best option. But that's the best option. Yeah. yeah. And so, it, so it's, it, it's just a matter of looking at this from a broader perspective of saying, there's really no other explanation for this. Yeah. And so, and yeah, I think Jesus I is think, yeah. who he said he is. And I think uh, Jesus is who the disciples claimed he was. Um, and their their willingness to die for it, right, and not gain sex, money, or power yeah, from it is yeah. huge. Um, I don't think they're crazy based on the stuff that's taught in the Bible. It's phenomenal. Um I don't think anybody would think yeah. that, that it was so, crazy, right? So yeah, so that that brings us again to the point, right? <laughs> Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. and this idea is way simpler than the other ones. It makes more sense, yeah. Jesus is Lord, and we need to take seriously his message. That's the idea. Yeah, but people rage against that. And that's yeah. where the atheists and the agnostics are at is, first of all, like there's this, there's this idea, <clears throat> it's just this prevalent attitude, I guess, in our culture yeah. with certain people, not everybody, but a lot of people are just skeptic, just question everything. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, couldn't it be, Tyler? Well, couldn't it be? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And it's like, you can't just remain a perpetual skeptic. You can't just doubt everything all the time. Eventually, you have to land somewhere on something. You and do. that's why yeah. I appreciate like guys like Bart Ehrman. He, he's actually studying this stuff, and he's, yeah, trying to, yeah. he's trying to take the data and say, okay, how do I make sense of these historical accounts? There's yeah. something that happened in the past because I have these books. Where do they come from? What's valid? What's not? I can't just dismiss this stuff because it's here. It's real. Yeah. But how do I uh, make conclusions about what I believe they're saying? So I appreciate guys like that who are really wading in stuff. But but so many people that I meet well, just because, just blow it off. Yeah, because nah, I don't the even want to think see about it. With uh, with Bart Ehrman is like he's he's consistent, right? Yeah. But like he doesn't he doesn't um like have this uh this this kind of void of theology or um just mentality that he's keeping where he just ignores or sweeps things no, under the rug. No, he has answers for things. Yeah, he has answers and he yeah. seeks answers and he tries to come to a, some sort of a conclusion rather than you see a lot of uh, skeptics, agnostics, atheists in his position mm-hmm. who uh, would just argue, oh, I don't need to have the answers because... Yeah, they'll just question. Like, yeah. You tell me why you believe what you believe. And then you say, exactly. well, you tell me why you believe what you believe. And they go, I don't need to tell you that because I just don't believe anything. It's like, well, you believe I'm wrong. So you, <laughs> you need to yeah. tell me why you think... 
Yeah, it's just it's an annoying. It, it's kind of an annoying uh, position. Yeah, to, and it's like you can't just be a perpetual skeptic. Eventually, you have mm-hmm. to make a decision on where you land. With yeah, this you stuff. can't just say like like I'm an atheist, meaning I lack a belief in God. No, like, because it's a it's not just a lack. It's of not belief. a lack of yeah. a belief. It's it, you're believing in something. It is a belief. Yep, and so that's yeah. why we we have to look at this stuff and say, okay, we have these books about Jesus. Where did they come from? Was this guy who they claim he was, or are these lies? Right. Are these ravings of crazy people? Um, are these Robin Hood legendary accounts of King Arthur's yeah. court? Or is it legit? I guess that's my L word. Yeah, is it legit? Is it legit? <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> legit. That's pretty clever. That's pretty clever. Take that. <laughs> yeah. And so, again, I think it's legit. I think that these documents hold up to extreme scrutiny. And I think that... Man, two, six months to three years isn't enough time for legend to, to develop no, about a guy not. coming back from the dead in the town where it was supposed to happen. Nobody would believe that. Nobody would be saying that. Nobody would take no. it seriously. And yet this idea just permeates the religious establishment and then it permeates the known world. It's very hard to believe that that was a fabrication, a lie, a crazy raving, mm. or a legendary account. I think it was legitimate. I think Jesus is Lord. I think he is who he said he is. And again, we need to take his message seriously. Yes, we absolutely do. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for being with us today. We hope that this has been an encouragement to you. If you have questions or comments, please uh, send us an email or Instagram message or Facebook message or however you want to get a hold of us. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, Also, make sure you come back next week because we're going to be talking about another counterfeit Jesus. We've covered the LDS counterfeit. We've covered the agnostic atheist counterfeit. We've got a few more uh, coming in the next following weeks. Um, But again, we want this podcast to be about equipping you to be confident in your faith and helping you to go out and to share your faith with other people. That is our goal, is we want you to be mm-hmm. um, be uh, fortified in your faith. We yeah, want be you educated. to be established in your faith so that you have good answers to give people as to why you believe what you believe. We've got to have good answers. Yes. That's uh, the key. We absolutely do. Uh, so thank you guys so much for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.